Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Galatians chapter 2, I want us to look at matching belief and behavior. It is important for us to understand that consistency is a key to a credible witness. If we want to have a credible witness of the gospel in this world, then we need to be consistent with who we are and what we say. Our walk and our talk need to match. There doesn't need to be duplicity in our lives. There needs to be an evidence in us that we are unwavering in what we do and what we think and how we live. And so, Paul is at a confrontational point that he's giving us in the book of Galatians as we continue to talk about being free to live, and he confronts Simon Peter, verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy and with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews. And so there's a confrontation here. Sometime after the uh, council in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, where they determined that a person did not have to be circumcised or become Jewish first and then a Christian, uh, Peter travels to Antioch. And, and he's, he's eating and fellowshipping with these Gentile believers. He's, he's sitting down at the table with them. He's enjoying their company. But something happens and things begin to change and, and some critics show up. And, and Peter gets a little wary and a little concerned. You, you remember Peter had had an issue with this that had to be dealt with by the Lord. Acts chapter 10 You remember he had to go to eat at the house of Cornelius. He was a little worried about that because Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter had to get over his preconceived ideas about race and about ritual. Some of us were raised with preconceived prejudices that we know in Christ do not exist that when we are in Christ, there is no black or white, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, all are one in Christ. And it doesn't matter whether you were raised in the South or the North or wherever else. So you go to any part of the country, there are people that deal with prejudice and thinking certain people groups are not as good as their people group. Well, who decided to vote which one was the best? I don't think that God gave over his throne to decide for us to decide that. All are equal, all are level at the foot of the cross. And so Peter is being dealt with about this again. Now, first of all, the Lord deals with him. He goes to eat at the house of Cornelius. Now, Paul is confronting him. Why did he cave in? First of all, I think he caved in because of fear. He was worried about what people would think about him. He was worried about how people would talk about him how they would respond to him. You remember Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man is a snare. 
and he got snared, trapped by fear. Now, now here's a guy who always had a little bit of fear. He had it with the servant girl. He, you see it some in the, in the book of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And then not as much in Acts, but Peter deals with what all of us deal with. What are people thinking? What are people saying? What's somebody going to say about what I'm doing? And so he backs up and he compromises. Now, the thing that's interesting about his fear at this point is this. The opposition is not godly opposition. These are not godly people. These are religious, ritualistic people who have an opinion and a right and a tradition, but they're not acting on the basis of truth. This is not a, a godly group that's come to confront him. This is a group with an agenda. And any leader that backs up to any group that has an agenda loses his ability to lead. You can only have one agenda, and that's the Lord's agenda. Peter forgot that. Secondly, under pressure, we tend to be hypocrites. Under pressure, we tend to be hypocrites. Here's Simon Peter backing up on his own statements and his own decision that's recorded in Acts 15 in the council at Jerusalem. Now, the text does not say that these people came with the authority of James. They said they came with the authority of James. But that would mean that James had contradicted the decision that he drew in Acts chapter 15 when James and Peter and John and Paul all sat down and said, this is the crux, the core, the nature of salvation. If they had come with authority from James, it would have implied that James had changed his mind. And he had not. And so they said, they implied, they deceived. And so their deception caused Peter to cave in to fear and also to hypocrisy. Thirdly, when we cave in, we take others with us. You see, Paul rebukes him. He says, you used to eat. That's an imperfect tense of the verb, meaning continuous action. You used to eat, but you're slowly backing away from it. You know, used to be every time somebody would call you and say, hey, let's go get some barbecue you were on. But now you're making excuses. Now you're saying, well, you know, I can't go today. Maybe call me tomorrow. Well, I can't go tomorrow either. And maybe call me another time. Well, I can't do that either. He always, he was drifting back, backing up from his commitment. Paul says, you used to do this, but you've let your adversaries intimidate you. Now look at the conflict. And there's a reason for the conflict. The reason is he began to withdraw. Now that term began to withdraw describes a strategic military maneuver. He began to maneuver, gradually maneuver his way out of the battle, out of the fight. In other words, he was retreating. He was withdrawing from the field of conflict. Rather than standing up and saying, you guys are wrong and what I'm doing is right in the eyes of God, he begins to strategically maneuver like an army, backing out and withdrawing from the field of conflict rather than reaping the responsibilities and the criticism that would come his way. And he began to hold himself aloof. He gradually, not only was withdrawing, he was gradually saying, you know, I'm really too good to eat with these people. 
You know, I, I'm just in a position where it's really too much. And so his gradual withdrawal, but it was a steady withdrawal. Bishop Lightfoot said the words describe forcefully the cautious withdrawal of a timid person who shrinks from observation. Now, I don't know, this is, this is just me, but I, I think Simon Peter was a Baptist. Because every time God had to tell him something, he had to tell him three times. For instance, you will deny me. Jesus said that to him three times. Peter, do you love me? He said that three times. In Acts chapter 10, rise and eat. He said it to him three times. Here's why I'm bringing that out. Sometimes God does something in our lives that's significant and purposeful and powerful. And we think, man, I will never get over what God did in that moment. But we drift away from it. And we forget, we lose the emotion of it, and then we forget the significance of it. We begin to drift away and back up from that life-changing moment that we said we would never get over. All of a sudden, the pressure comes in, and we begin to forget the promises that we've made to God, the things that we've committed to do, the commitments that we've told others we were going to make, and forgetting always leads to drifting. I grew up on the coast, and I know that if you get a raft out and if the tide's going out, you can be just kind of floating along, and you know how it is on the, on the coast, and, and I know some of you are too spiritual to get out in the water on the coast, but just for those of you that are not, you know how it is, you kind of get there and you get on a raft or you get on a surfboard, and, and you just kind of float along, and then the sun's hot, and you just kind of drift off to sleep. If the tide's going the wrong way, you're going to wake up and you're going to see a couple of great whites swimming around you. All of a sudden, it's not going to be jellyfish you're worried about. It's going to be the great whites because you have drifted away from the shore and you wake up and realize, I I'm not where I used to be. And so Paul is confronting Peter. Not long after this Acts 10 encounter, Paul's confronting him and said, Peter, you've forgotten. And you're beginning to gradually drift away from the commitments that you've made and the words that you've spoken, you're backing up from it and you need to come back. So he says the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. Well, we all know what hypocrisy means. It means to wear a mask or to pretend or to play act. And, and here's the deal. God's word's infallible, but we aren't. Right? I mean, right? Okay, I just want to make sure we all know that. Otherwise, the sermon's going to be longer. God's Word's infallible. We're not. That's why we need people to hold us accountable. That's why it's not enough to say, well, I believe the Bible. It's important that we obey the Bible. It's not just enough to say, oh, yeah, the Bible's the Word of God. I, I like that. I, I'll, you, you get my vote on that one. But we have to obey what God says. And he, he led them into hypocrisy. What they were doing is they're sitting around the table singing Kumbaya and we're one in the bond of love. But then when it's time for, to eat, you look around and say, oh, well, there's Jews and Gentiles. I can't eat with the Gentiles. Let's go over here and eat at this table. You know how that happens. Any of you ever been in middle school and high school? You know, you get your tray and you walk away and you look and you find out, oh, you know, okay, which table do I get to eat at? Is there a seat at the table with my friends? Uh-oh. And, of course, now, the big deal is, do I get to eat at the cool table with the cool kids, or do I have to eat with the other ones? 
Don't look at me like that never happened to you. <laughs> of course it did. You know, you always want, you know, what, you know, which table am I going to sit at? Oh, well, you know, I can't sit at the table with them. I need to go over here and sit. That's what Peter was doing. Peter got his tray. He had pork barbecue. He had a lot of sauce. He had some beans, some potato salad. He had some, some pickles, and, he, and so he gets, his, he gets his little lunch tray with the little holes in it and a little bitty square area. I never know why some are holes and some are square. I never figured that out, but the designer made a lot of money anyways. And so he gets his little tray, and he gets up, and, and, and here's all the Jews sitting over here on this side going, eh, you know, I don't know about these Gentiles. And, and here's the Gentiles sitting over here, and Simon Peter has to make a decision in a moment. Who am I going to eat with? Am I going to eat with these people that are sitting over here thinking that they're better than these people over here? Or am I going to make my position known unequivocally and go and sit down with the Gentiles and break bread with them and fellowship with them? I've been raised with these people. I've been raised to believe like they believe. I, I used to think that way, that it was by the ritual and by the law. But now I know it's by grace. So which table am I going to sit at? And he made the wrong choice. You know, who you associate with determines your actions. And so Peter led them into hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. I mean, what the deal is, Barnabas was probably the pastor of the church at Antioch, and he's saying, man, if, if the pastor gets led away into compromising on this, what's going to happen to everybody else? And so Paul confronts him. And, and there's a rightness of it. He said, I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I, I love the way this, what this literally reads is, is that, that Paul says, I saw they were not walking with straight feet. They weren't walking the line. They didn't know the Johnny Cash song, I Walk the Line. They weren't walking the line. They weren't walking with straight feet. They were wavering. They were detouring. They were off the path. And Paul says, I saw them doing this, and I rebuked him. J.B. Phillips says, his behavior was a contradiction to the truth of the gospel. Verse 11, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I opposed him. Why? Because he was guilty. He was on the wrong side of this issue. He was not thinking right. He was not acting right. And, and I needed to bring him back in and say, now, Peter, we're on the same page here about the truth of the gospel and the nature of the gospel. And you don't need to be sending mixed signals to people. They don't need to look at me and say, well, Paul's doing one thing and Peter's doing another thing. We can choose which gospel we want to believe. He says, we're going to have to be on the same page here, and this is no time in the early stages of the church, in the development of the church, this is no time for us to be confusing. We must be clear. The gospel does not present confusion. It gives us clarity. And so Paul rebukes him, and, and he says, I oppose him. And this actually goes back to what he said in verse 5 and verse 14. It goes back to the core of the truth of the gospel. Paul is going back to basics. What is the truth of the gospel? And so he says to, to Peter, we have got to be on the same page. 
We've got to say the same things. We've got to walk down this same path. We cannot deviate off of this. And the path is that we are sinners saved by grace through Jesus Christ. It is His death at the cross, His resurrection, His life for our life that is the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And so there's a call to consistency. Now, if you back up to chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, you'll remember that we looked at this a few weeks ago. In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, let them be accursed who preach any other gospel. And so Paul pronounces judgment on anybody that tries to distort or twist or deny the truth of the gospel. He says, even if I do it or if angels... There is but one gospel. He's very clear about that. And then he goes to chapter 2 and verse 5. And he refused to give one inch of ground to the Judaizers who just wanted Paul to compromise. Just back off a little bit. Don't, don't make it so narrow. And Paul says there's a straight path. The truth of the gospel might be preserved. That's what he said. I am charged with making sure that the truth of the gospel is preserved. Now, on what basis was the contradiction? Look at chapter 2 and verses 15 and following. Chapter 2, verses 15 and following. He says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Now here's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, look, I, you, you know, you've read Paul's testimony. He says, I'm a Jew of Jews. I'm educated in the highest schools. I was a defender of the faith. I was out to destroy Christianity until I was struck on the road to Damascus by the Lord revealing himself to me. And I had to come to Christ the same way everybody has to come to Christ, by faith. It doesn't matter that I am of the chosen seed of Abraham. It doesn't matter that we are the recipients of the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures. It doesn't matter that the promised Messiah came through us. What matters is we all come to God by faith. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they did not get saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law. They got saved by faith. That's the example of Abraham from the beginning of Genesis, that it would take another to save us. And so he says, look, if I can't be saved by keeping the law, and Simon Peter can't be saved by keeping the law, who of you thinks you can be saved by keeping the law? Nobody can. We all come to God by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. And, and so what he's telling us is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and you and I come to God through Christ. It is by grace through faith. The law judges and the law condemns, but it does not justify. There, there is no stronger term to me in evangelical history than justification by faith. It is the foundation of the Reformation. It is the basis 
of every doctrine that we believe, that we are justified by faith. In Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. Now, negatively, that means that you're not justified by keeping the law. Positively, it means you're justified by faith. There's nothing more important. Martin Luther said, if we lose the article of justification by faith, all Christian doctrine is lost. Now, this is important for several reasons, because there are three books in the Bible that deal with justification by faith. Let me give them to you. Romans deals with the just. Romans tells us who the just are. If you want to know who are the just, who are the saved, who are those who are in right relationship with God, you read the book of Romans. Romans tells us who the just are. Galatians tells us shall live, how we shall live. What kind of life are we supposed to have? That's where you talk about the works of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. That's where Paul talks about what makes us distinctive. So Romans explains the meaning of the just. Galatians explains the meaning of shall live. And Hebrews explains the meaning of by faith. So if I want to know how to get my hands around the gospel... If I want to know how to get my hands around the message and the explanation of the gospel, the books that doctrinally define and explain what it means, the just shall live by faith, are Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. Now, Paul uses the verb form of justification four times in verses 16 and 17, and the noun form once in verse 21, where it's translated righteousness. Here's why justification by faith is important. Sin is a root problem, not a surface problem. It's a root problem. It's a core issue. It's not a surface. It's not a secondary. It's not subsidiary. Sin is the issue. You see, sinners is what we are. Sin is what we do. I am a sinner separated from a holy God. And to get to that holy God, I cannot get to him by doing good works or by joining a church or by having somebody pray over me or by having somebody make a decision for me or by baptism or anything else. The only way I can get to God is through Christ Jesus. He built a bridge over the gap between man and God. There had to be a sinless substitute. That was all the pictures of the Old Testament, that there was a sinless substitute. And that substitute, that sinless one was Christ. And I'm over here separated from God. I can't get to God. God can't look at me because He is holy. And so the only way that I can look at God and God can look at me is through Christ Jesus who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the gospel. You see, good deeds don't change a bad nature because we're sinners at the core of who we are. And doing good doesn't clean all that up because it's an inside problem. Paul said to the Romans in Romans 3, 19 and 20, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You see, a mirror and, a law, and the law are a lot alike. They can reveal the problem, but they can't fix it. 
How many of you got up this morning and before you came to church, you looked in a mirror? Did it reveal anything you needed to do anything about? I mean, seriously. You looked in the mirror and went, whoa. You know, I mean, you, you had bedhead, and it was just, you know, kind of like all going the wrong direction or 84 different directions. That's in style now, I guess, but, it's, you know, but I mean, you, you look in the mirror and, you, you know, and then there's still some stuff from supper last night between your teeth. And so the mirror reveals that, but the mirror didn't come off the wall and say, let me help you with that. The mirror just showed you what had to be done to fix the problem. That's what the law does. The law is so high and so impossible that we can't live up to it. And the law is a mirror that reveals to us that we're sinners, that we can't live up to it. And then that mirror shows us not the law will fix us, but that Christ will fix us. And Paul said again to the Romans, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. I look at the law and I see I'm a sinner. But I turn to Christ to fix the problem. Now, I want you to go back to verse 16, and I want you to see three things in verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing I want you to see is Paul is stating at this point a general principle. That's a general overarching principle. Man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. It applies to everybody. It applies to every culture. It applies on every continent. It applies to every people group. We're not justified by the law. Then he says, when even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, that's a personal application. Now, Paul takes the general principle and he applies it personally. He says, even I, the law keeper, and he had a reputation because of his training and his education. Paul says, even I know and I discovered that it's not in keeping the law that I'm saved or that I can stay saved or add anything to my salvation. And then he says, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. That's a universal principle as well. So the general principle that applies to everybody, but there's then that universal principle that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. In in other words, nobody's going to get to heaven by keeping the law. No matter how sincere, no matter how nice, the world's full of good people, nice people, but that's not what's going to get them justified. It's universal. There's one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I think I am, I hope I am, I want to tell you that I am. You might want to check out some other options. He said, I am emphatically the way, the truth, and the life. No man emphatically comes to the Father but through me. If you want to get to God, you got to go through Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. Now, I want you, I want you to look at... Uh, what he says here, three times in this letter, Paul says, may it never be. King James translates that, God forbid. 
Uh, I had a professor, most of my uh, classes in college were under a professor who uh, now teaches in another college, and I loved him. I didn't always agree with him theologically, but I want to tell you something. That guy rattled my cage, and he made me think, and he made me dig. His A, listen, you know, people say, I, I made straight A's. I have a 90 average. His A was a 96. If you didn't have a 96 average, you didn't get an A in his class. I went to him one day. I had a 95.5. And I said, Dr. Sheridan, please, I've never made an A in your class. I've taken 12 classes under you. I need an A. He said, if I gave it to you, you wouldn't appreciate it. And I said, oh, I really would. <laughs> and he didn't give it to me. He made me dig. He made me struggle. He made me work. He made me think. And I don't remember everything he said, but I remember this passage right here. He, he, when, he, when he would talk and when he'd get excited, his face would kind of shake from side to side a little bit. And he's reading along here, and Paul says, may it never be. And he just starts shaking his head like this. And he goes, God forbid. <laughs> he said, this is a term. He said, this is as, as hard a term as you will see in the Bible. It is like screaming out in fear and, and anger and frustration. God forbid that this would happen. Every time I read this, I think about Robert Sheridan because of what he taught me about this, this passage right here. And so I want you to look at Galatians. We're going to look at three verses. It appears this may it never be, or God forbid, it appears 15 times in the New Testament, 10 times in Romans, three times in Galatians. Galatians 2.17 but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? God forbid, may it never be. Galatians 3, 21. This is a great verse, by the way. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Galatians 6 and verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at these three instances. Is Christ a minister of sin? May it never be. Galatians 3.21, is the law contrary to the promises of God? In other words, do we just forget about everything in the Old Testament and there's nothing in there for us? There are things in there for us that we need to learn. And it was honored by Jesus and it was honored by the apostles. Almost every book of the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament. He says, there's not a contradiction. May it never be that you would say that there are two gospels or two ways to be saved. And then in Galatians 6.14, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. 
Thanks for listening and join us next week for another podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church.